1892 season may have been the first for Montana State League, but it was far from the last. In 1900, as most of professional baseball was attempting to present a more stately version of the game, the Treasure State was still struggling. W.H. Lucas, a well-traveled Oregon businessman, looked to change that. Lucas arrived in Helena on March 2nd, 1900 with the announcement that he was organizing a baseball league. Quote, I never saw a more enthusiastic number of ball cranks, he told the Helena Daily Independent. That's why I have Skyler. <laughs> <laughs> Predicting great success for the capital city, within four days the Helena Baseball Club had formed the only question, whom would the club play? In a 1997 article written for Montana, the magazine of Western history, James A. Scott recounts that Lucas's grand vision of a new league often had to be resized to fit reality. The Central American Interstate Baseball League, which Lucas hoped would stretch throughout the Pacific Northwest, became a more manageable interstate league. Great Falls and Butte quickly jumped on board with Helena, but additional teams were tough to find. Quote, Anaconda wavered. Sponsors sought to recruit Billings, Missoula, and Spokane, Washington, but their efforts failed, wrote Scott. Quote, only when Helena businessman W.E. Phillips went to Anaconda personally did the city agree to participate. As for Lucas, four teams were enough to launch an 80-game season. On April 7, 1900, the Montana State Baseball League officially formed around the Helena Senators, Anaconda Calciners, or Serpents, depending on the news source, Butte Smoke Eaters, and Great Falls Indians, with Lucas serving as league president. Right away, the league adopted the standards of professional baseball accepted around the country, known as the National Agreement, and pledged to hire only the most upstanding players and managers. <coughs> Frank Thayer, Helena's manager, promised to recruit, quote, sober and gentlemanly star ball players. When Great Falls completed its roster, the May 1st Tribune reported, quote, every one of the men signed comes highly recommended, not only as a ball player, but as a sober, steady, reliable gentleman. It all sounded good in newspapers, but the games were another story. Most teams had not properly scouted their rosters, making the quality of competition inconsistent at best and often laughable. Butte wallowed at the bottom of the standings all summer long, resorting to, quote, crude tactics, as Scott put it, including having its mascot, nicknamed Chocolate Drop, spit on home plate for good luck before games. Anaconda didn't fare much better. The Standard reported in June that management had, quote, little actual knowledge of its roster's playing abilities and claimed that most of the league had, quote, a good deal of dead timber on its hands. <laughs> When the Montana State Baseball League lacked in star players, it made up for with fisticuffs. In early June, an on-field confrontation between Helena shortstop Joseph McCarthy and umpire J.J. Cody spilled into the streets of downtown Helena. After Cody ejected McCarthy from the afternoon contest, McCarthy tracked down Cody outside the Grand Central Hotel. Quote, high words were exchanged, and the umpire and shortstop mingled with the odds in favor of the shortstop at the end of the first round. Both were arrested for fighting, and Cody threatened to resign if McCarthy wasn't banned for the rest of the season. Instead, President Lucas issued a two-week suspension and fine. Helena, which was running away with the league title, responded with its own threat of not finishing the season. Somehow, Lucas held things together, but the state media appeared pessimistic about the future. Quote, I see by the paper... 
I see by the papers they have organized a state league, and if that don't end in bloodshed, I miss my guess. In another violent episode, Helena's Jack Flannery didn't take kindly to being called out at second base. During the ensuing argument, opposing Great Falls player Tom Menefee, quote, made a pass at Flannery that prompted the Helena outfielder to, quote, come back with one in the ribs, according to the Daily Independent. After the game, Menefee suggested he and Flannery continue the fight downtown. Helena's team president, W.E. Phillips, ended up offering a reward for the name of the man who drew a revolver during the subsequent scuffle. The biggest problems throughout the season, and part of the reason violence ran so rampant in the league, were gambling and incompetent umpiring. Inexperienced and undermanned, the boys in blue exerted no control over the games and often made such egregious calls that both teams and the entire grandstand would protest. In one instance, umpire Jack Grimm made a curious call of interference to end a game between Great Falls and Helena. The call was so bad and confusing that Great Falls complained even though it had won, and its home crowd emptied to surround Grimm on the field and demand an explanation. Quote, his umpiring has been the worst seen on these grounds, declared the Great Falls Tribune. There has not been a redeeming feature to his work. The situation grew so dire at the end of the season, Helena and Great Falls didn't want to play for the state championship. When they eventually did agree to meet in a five-game series, all the worst of the season seemed to be encapsulated in the outcome. After three uneventful games with Helena winning two, game four devolved into chaos. Umpire, umpire Eddie Burke had already been receiving a torrent of backlash by the third inning when Helena's Joe Tinker reached second base and, Scott wrote in Montana, quote, filled the air with foul language. Burke had had enough and ordered Tinker off the grounds. Flannery, Helena's captain, who had also been a part of the gun-related scuffle earlier in the season, rushed toward Burke on the field, followed by the rest of his teammates. Quote, Flannery applied a vile epithet to Burke and swiftly struck the little umpire several severe blows, reported the Great Falls Tribune. Quote, Burke ran toward a pile of bats near the Great Falls bench and seized the stick, the mob chasing him and closing in on him and taking the bat away from him. Burke fell and many went down on top of him. About 300 or 400 persons had gathered around this time, and some of the decent men in the crowd extricated Burke, whose face was cut, bruised, and bleeding. The Helena Daily Independent claimed Burke had sustained these injuries on his own when he dived into the pile of bats. <laughs> Regardless, in a bizarre twist, it was Burke who was charged with third-degree assault for grabbing a bat during the incident and forced to pay a $20 fine. Helena ended up forfeiting the game, leaving the series <coughs> tied 2-2. Game five went even worse. A, few, a new umpire was hired, and the game was moved to Butte to avoid a hostile environment. But Mother Nature didn't cooperate. Typical October weather brought a, quote, blinding snow and hailstorm with pools of water collected at each base. The weather affected the grounds to the point that basic plays became impossible. Helena's catcher grew so frustrated with pitcher Harry Maupin's inaccuracy that, according to one report, he chucked the ball over the fence. In another report, the catcher wasn't as frustrated with Maupin as he was with the umpire's calls which is what prompted him to toss the ball over the fence and his catcher's gear onto the field in disgust. Whatever the reason, Helena had to forfeit again, and Great Falls was declared the winner of the 1900 Montana State Baseball League. 
<laughs> Not surprisingly. Uh, the owners held little enthusiasm for a 1901 season. According to Scott's article, there had been substantial financial losses, and none of the four teams had earned a profit. The Anaconda Standard noted, quote, that an attendance to make a four-club state league pay cannot be secured in Montana. The public demands a high class of baseball, but there is not the patronage to justify the salary minimum, which must be maintained to secure the quality of ball. Helena's Daily Independent agreed, adding the quality of plays in years prior with semi-professional homeboys wasn't much different from what the State League provided. While the violence and disorder of the 1900 season definitely overshadowed the play on the field, it's worth noting one of the league's lasting legacies, Joe Tinker, the diminutive infielder at the center of the Game 4 Championship Series blow-up, essentially started his Hall of Fame career during that otherwise dysfunctional season. Tinker was sold from Denver to Great Falls after just 32 games in the Western League, arriving in Montana as an unproven 19-year-old. After his first game with the new club, he was labeled the star by the Great Falls Tribune and given a nickname, Pretty. The paper also noticed that he'd taken part in a gorgeous double play, Zierfoss to Tinker to McCluskey. The Great Falls... But Great Falls had to sell Tinker midway through the season as the club strained to make payroll. He ended up in Helena for $200, where he, was told, where he told the Tribune he, quote, made good for the Helena fans took a strong liking to me. The rookie had the chance to play every day at third and demonstrated slick defensive skills. His hitting, which lagged in Denver, he'd hit just 219, also picked up as he rallied to a 322 average over 57 games. It was enough to land Tinker a contract with Portland of the Pacific Northwest League the following season and a tryout with the Chicago Orphans in 1902. Tinker's tenure in Chicago became a thing of legend. He moved to shortstop and helped anchor what's been regarded as one of the best defenses in baseball history. Quote, it is impossible to speak of the great deeds which made the Cubs of 1906 the most formidable team in the history of the game without due mention of their peerless shortstop, Joe Tinker, wrote F.C. Lane in Baseball Magazine. Tinker's Chicago teams were so great, they inspired one of the game's more famous poems, Baseball's Sad Lexicon, also commonly known by its refrain of Tinker to Evers to Chance. It was written in 1910 by Franklin Pierce Adams from the perspective of a rueful New York Giants fan. It referred to the long-time double-play combination that ate up so many opposing ground balls as Chicago rolled to four National League pennants between 1906 and 1910. These are the saddest possible words, Tinker to Evers to Chance, trio of bear cubs and fleeter than birds, Tinker and Evers and Chance, ruthlessly pricking our gonflam bubble, making a giant hit into a double, words that are heavy with nothing but trouble. Tinker to Evers to Chance. Tinker was elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1946. The first line of his plaque notes the famed Tinker to Evers to Chance double play combination. It certainly had more of a ring to it than Zierfoss to Tinker to McCluskey. <laughs>